swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Joining me now on Extra Innings on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He covers the Nationals for the Washington Post. You can also buy his book, Buzzsaw, chronicling the 2019 Nationals World Series title run. He is Jesse Doherty. Follow him on Twitter, at Doherty underscore Jesse. Jesse, really appreciate you joining me. How's it going today? Of course, man. Thanks so much for having me. Sure thing. And, Jesse, I mean, speaking of that 2019 Nationals World Series, because that's who the Mariners are playing starting tomorrow for a quick two-game series. I got to know. I mean, looking at them winning that World Series and then following it up with two straight last-place finishes this year, obviously uh, probably going to end up being another last-place finish. Was this a, a planned teardown or rebuild, or have they just simply not put together good teams since then? This year was planned, but when you look at 2020 and 2021, that wasn't the plan at all, I think. Last July, so almost exactly a year ago, is when they traded eight, eight of their veterans for 12 prospects in return, kickstarting what Bakley did, but effectively as a rebuild. And but other than that, I mean, in 2020, they got they brought a lot of the band back, which you could argue now was maybe not the best case, you know, best move. And then in 2021, they got some guys on one-year deals, two-year deals to try and you know retool and, and make another run. They still had Matt Scherzer, they still had Trey Turner, they. I think they saw the Max Scherzer final year of his deal sort of the close of one window, and they were trying to maximize that. So, no, it certainly wasn't the plan in the bigger picture, but what you're seeing now is a bit more of a concerted rebuilding effort, yeah. I got to know, Jesse, following that 2019 title, obviously there was the COVID year of 2020. Do national fans ever wonder if things would be different right now if they had had sort of a proper chance to defend that title the following season? That's interesting. I mean, I, I think that team that team was hurt by injury, but also it's hard to say what it would have been over 162 games because, of course, the Nationals sort of famously in 2019 were 19 and 31 through 50 games, which was almost the whole pandemic season, and then went on the best 70 game run in club history and ends up, you know, winning the World Series. So, I think. I haven't heard that since a time. It's an interesting question. I do think there were a lot of flaws with that roster in nineteen or in twenty, rather. But it certainly they certainly didn't get a full chance. I mean, it's an MVP year for Soto that is effectively wasted because it was only you know less than half of a usual season, and and that's that's tough. And, and I think anytime you're you're downsizing years of a team control years of a you know a generational player, uh, that's that sort of feels like it might be unfair, and that was a reality for a lot of teams, not just the Nationals. So, yeah, I mean, again, if you think of that window, uh, that post-19 window of being until Trey Turner became a free agent, until Max Scherzer became a free agent, while Juan Soto was still under team control and not making what he ultimately will in free agency, I, I think they, they certainly lost a year of that, and their roster was definitely set up to win now rather than it would be to be sustainably good long-term. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good point there, and I, and I think it's probably something that maybe isn't talked about enough locally. Jesse, you bring up Juan Soto, who is one of the game's very best, maybe the best, depending on who you ask. 
and he's only, what, 23, 24 years old. I got to know, as somebody who, who covers the Nationals on a daily basis, what is it like getting to watch Juan Soto play every day? Because up here in the Northwest, we only see what we see on MLB Network, on ESPN, and obviously it's jaw-dropping whenever we see it. But what is it like to get to watch him every single day? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think in past years it was you know, consistent domination, and this season it's been a bit rocky. He's been really you know, not himself at runners in scoring position, and his numbers are just starting to tick up to be the best on the team. And it's an unfamiliar spot for him, I think, to be in weeks long, months long sort of slumps. And again, this is all relative. Any struggle he has is relative to expectations of him, which are just astronomically high after his first few years. But yeah, I mean, watching every day is it's really cool in that you're. It's not necessarily that you don't know what to expect. It's more so that you expect so much, and then he seems to deliver, if not go even beyond it and I think that's watching him and I, I've been covering him since his rookie year watching him consistently not only meet expectations but somehow go past them is is remarkable because like I said I mean this is a guy who second in rookie of the year voting World Series hero you know playoff hero and then MVP finalist, MVP finalist in back-to-back years comparisons to Ted Williams you know every 19 and 20 year old stat he had was on par with Mickey Mantle and a lot and all these Ken Griffey Jr. You know, for the for the Seattle folks. I mean, there was his name was in the conversation with all time greats right right almost right away. And I think what that can do is maybe get people to I don't want to say get tired of them and take them for granted, but he has a way of raising his level of play so consistently in, in such a exciting way that it seems like that's not the case. That none of this is taken for granted, at least here in DC. Uh, certainly not by me, and, and I, I think it's just a really remarkable. He's a really remarkable player to come. Where do talks stand between him and the Nationals on a contract extension? I know there was the report that uh, him and his camp had turned down an offer uh, in the high three hundred millions. It sounds like things are maybe progressing towards the low four hundred millions for him. Uh, where do you think a deal gets done between the two sides, or, or could Soto end up hitting the free agent market in a couple seasons? I don't. It's hard to handicap or say if a deal will get done or not, but what I can tell you and what I have reported is that I think the talks are, are legitimate, not just sort of standard run-of-the-mill, we're going to make an effort to make it seem like we did before letting him walk or letting him go to the open market or trading him down the line. I, I do think they're actually legitimate, both sides going back and forth, to talk about how this could get done. Does that mean it will? Of course, we don't know. These are massive numbers. There's looming ownership change uh, coming for the Nationals, potentially. And uh, you know, I just think there's so many factors right now. But but the fact that it's not just we're going to put some offers in the books so they get reported, it looks like we're the good guys here. I think this, the effort is, is more legitimate than it was for Bryce Harper, for Anthony Rendon, for some of these past players who ended up going to free agency. I think there's a real urgency and a real – receptiveness on the part of ownership of, of sort of bringing to the table what the front office is asking for and the front office is telling them what it will take ultimately or what they think it might take. So I think it could be most of those over or at least there was in the past month and, and in past cases that, that feel like feel analogous to once it is free agency or, or any free agency rather, but uh, but I don't know exactly if it will get done. If I, if I if I knew that answer I would you know, 
<laughs> I don't know if I have, I should have find some other line of work or something. <laughs> he is Jesse Doherty, uh, joining me here on Extra Innings for just a few more moments. Jesse, uh, one name or, yeah, one name on the Nationals roster right now that obviously Mariners fans are very familiar with is Nelson Cruz, who has been at the DH for Washington for this season. There are also other names on this roster uh, that could potentially be moved over the coming weeks leading up to the trade deadline. Who do you see as uh, for sure locks to get moved by this Nationals team? Yeah, I think Nelson Cruz is one. Um, I think Josh Bell is likely another. And from there, it, it really will depend on what offers are out there. I think they would like to move there's some of their veteran relievers, Steve C. Shaq, Carl Edwards Jr. I think they would love to move Cesar Hernandez, who went from the Guardians to the White Sox at last year's deadline, but hasn't been nearly as productive this year. So who knows if there really is a market for him. But I, I think so. It gets you know less and less likely. It's not like they last year they had you know seven eight guys. Who, it's not like if they wanted to move them that there would be there would be asking teams. And um, this year it's not quite the case. And then there's some control relievers. Kyle Finnegan, Tenorini, I think for them, the deals have to be really right, but there's there's going to be consideration on the Nationals' end of moving them despite having two more years of control past this year. I mean, that makes those guys more valuable. And a, a total rental of two months, like someone like Steve Ciszek. So I think there's a good amount of names in the mix. It's just, again, like last year, it was a roster built to win initially, so naturally you're going to have more uh, one-year guys or rentals to move. And stretch the imagination, and that's just generally that there's fewer trade ships going into the deadline. So that's that's what. Uh, Jesse, I want to get your take on, on Steven Strasburg because obviously he was one of the biggest names in, in baseball for, for many years, especially uh, with all the fanfare that, that surrounded the start of his career. Uh, Mariners fans still, to this day, hate the fact that that team in 08 swept the A's in the final three games of the series, losing out on the chance to draft Steven Strasburg. And Would you say that, that Strasburg has, has lived up to the billing over his career in, in Washington or, or – how how do Nationals fans view his career? Because when he came to the team, it felt like this guy was going to be winning Cy Young after Cy Young. It hasn't necessarily been to that level. I mean, he's had some really tremendous seasons, but also over the last three years, he's he's barely pitched after getting that massive contract. Uh, what is what is the Nationals fan view of Strasburg at this point in his career? I mean, I think. It, it kind of goes in phases. I think, in on one hand, early on, he's really responsible, or partly a big part responsible for legitimizing baseball in DC again, and the excitement around him and that first season. And as the Nationals were turning the corner uh, to from you know sort of a laughing stock, a perennial hundred loss team to to contenders uh, for the better part of a decade, he's as much to do with that as anybody. If you know, right there behind. Brian Zimmerman and right there alongside him. I think those you know, are hugely important figures in the franchise history. And then at the end of that 10-year run, uh, he wins World Series MVP and, and, is, and is the guy who ultimately pushed the team over the hump and got them to where they wanted to be all along. And I think those things never change. So so he'll always have that at the forefront of his legacy here. And that, but then the things that, that weigh it down, that, that sort of counterbalance it to be not so positive are one that the frequent injuries and the sort of sense of what if, if 
you know, he was healthier and, and could he have been that kind of guy who was winning multiple Cy Youngs if he were on the, on the mound all the time. And then, and then now this contract, which it's just been a total arbitrage for this team. It's really affected a lot of things that happened in the last few years, signing for seven years and $245 million after the World Series, after he was able to opt out of his deal and, and basically did so because he was so dominant in that October. Um, you know, what got the Nationals the World Series title also ended up to them having to renegotiate with Strasburg on a long-term you know, contract that ultimately is really effect, negatively affects their payroll and has, has included, you know, fewer innings still than he threw in that entire 2019 playoff run in just one month. And then we're, we're in year three of that deal. So it's it's been a disappointment. It's, it's certainly not Strasburg's fault. Um, he wants to be on the mound. He, he, there's no reason he should have turned down that contract because it's, you know, money and uh, made him one of the highest paid pitchers in baseball. But I think his legacy sort of gets split between those things where he was sort of the bookends of this amazing 10-year run for the franchise, but now he's very much synonymous with what's going wrong in the aftermath. And again, is that his fault? Not necessarily, but it's not. It's the reality. So I think that's where his legacy is very complicated. He is Jesse Doherty. He he covers the Washington Nationals for the Washington Post. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Doherty underscore Jesse. Jesse, really appreciate you joining us on Extra Innings and, and have a, a great time covering this series. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. On the other side, one of the most plugged-in insiders in all of baseball, USA Today columnist Bob Nightingale. He stopped by Bump and Stacy earlier today to talk about whether or not this Mariners team is for real after their recent 16-3 and stretch, including eight wins in a row. Don't go anywhere. That's coming your way next on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. 15 minutes from now, Sam Dykstra of MLB Pipeline, MLB.com, and MILB.com will join me to go over the latest movement in Major League Baseball's Top 100 Prospects list. But before we get into that, let's take a listen to what Bob Nightingale had to say about whether or not he thinks the Mariners are for real after this blistering pace they've been playing on, and of course, the greatness of Juan Julio Rodriguez. We certainly saw in spring training how we uh, won a spot, and you know, kudos to the Mariners not worrying about service time and putting him on the open day roster. You know, got off to a slow start. You know, well, about like Jerry Kelnick a year ago, mm-hmm. and uh, he went, "Well, is he is he ready? Do they have to put him back down?" And they stuck with him and gained the confidence, and he's kind of carrying that team now. I mean, when he got hot, the Mariners got hot, and uh, and everybody has uh, kind of joined the fun. Bob, Robbie Ray has uh, found a way to, I guess, find himself again, man. He um, added a pitch to the repertoire, and now he's carrying us. What's the national perception of Robbie Ray, and how close do you think he was to getting into the All-Star game, or is that a Northwest bias of ours, and we're just hoping he was closer than what he really was? <laughs> Well, we'll see. I mean, there's always guys that they, uh, are scratched on the stretch. And there'll be, there'll be about 10 or 15 guys added to each team with injuries. Uh, guys who pitch on Sunday can't go. So, on the uh, – yeah, it's not a Northwest bias. Uh, it's, the uh, pitchers are all done by the players. It's a strictly player vote. Nobody else has a say in it. So the interesting part about it, if you probably rain wants to <laughs> to a good in the sense, is that – the players didn't vote for Shohei Itani as pitcher or Clayton Kershaw either. So he's in, he's in good company. <laughs> uh, Bob, we were all... MLB, MLB picked those guys, not not them. Right. Yeah, yeah we were uh, 
we were all a bit kind of, you know, stemming from this same conversation, surprised to see uh, Ty France uh, being a bit of a snub. We also thought we might see Logan Gilbert in there. Um, do you see, when you look at the Mariners, a, a talented or a deep roster? Are they still a team that you think is a couple years away? I mean, I know you don't get to watch them as closely as we do, but maybe it's better to ask someone kind of on the outside looking in. Well, I, I think going to this season, we all thought, hey, this team is built to make the playoffs. It's going to be a colossal embarrassment if they don't, it, you know, unless there's a ton of injuries or something's gone wrong. But, you know, the team was supposed to make the playoffs. And, you know, it looks like they, you know, they should. I mean, they're trying for a wild card spot right now with the uh, extra playoff burst. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Ty France is having a marvelous year. I would hope he get, still gets uh, selected to the all-star team. So, you know, they just go down the roster like, okay, who's next in the player balloting? And I would think he'd be behind the player balloting. Um, same way with Logan Gilbert and the fact that, you know, he's such a young name and people really don't know him. But, man, he's been the uh, most consistent starter on that staff. I would really hope he gets in. Bob, I'm getting grumpy in my old age. I'm looking at the MLB power rankings, and I see two teams that the Mariners just swept, the Padres and the Blue Jays. And uh, no mention of the Mariners. They're probably one of the hottest teams in baseball right now. Uh, what else do they need to do to grab uh, the attention of the league? Well, they just got to keep doing what they were doing. Uh, you know, they won 16 last 19 now, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep doing that and break the top 10. The, uh, I mean, the Blue Jays are a very good team. Obviously, a terrible series in, uh, in Seattle. But it's not like, hey, when Pittsburgh swept the Dodgers at Dodgers Stadium, people are saying, hey, let's put the Pirates in there. I mean, the Reds just swept the Rays. <laughs> the Reds aren't moving up in the rankings. So, I think, you know, and they, they keep this going. They're certainly a top-10 team. You know, right now, if you look at the American League, you know, it's the, uh, it's the Yankees and Astros, you know, in a cheer by themselves, than everybody else. But there's no reason, you, you know, you can certainly argue that the uh, Mariners, the way they're playing, you know, are as good as the, uh, you know, the Red Sox and the Rays and uh, certainly, you know, better than anybody in the AL Central. I was gonna. I, I was just gonna ask, kind of a snapshot of the American League because the National League teams are just a bit closer. And meanwhile, it feels impossible that anyone's going to catch up to the Yankees and Astros. When you look at Houston, especially, we entered the season, Bob, kind of wondering when the Astros were going to start falling off and kind of regressing, and when the Mariners could surpass them. Uh, they haven't, unfortunately. What have they been able to to keep doing so well? They have all this young pitching. It's unbelievable. I mean, Jordan Alvarez is a special talent as, as a GH. But these guys like Framber Valdez and Jose Acuti, uh, you know, these guys come up and they become stars. I mean, remember now, they, you know, they lost George Springer two years ago. They lost Carlos Correa this past winter. And guys step up. They weren't scoring any runs at all. That pitching was holding them in there. You know, and now the offense is uh, caught up in producing. You know, guys like Alex Springman, they also had a nice – Replacement at shortstop when Jeremy Pena, the rookie, you know, replacing Carlos Correa. So just a uh, developing from within uh, without spending really any money. And the only money they really spent on this past winter was Justin Verlander. And uh, they're the only team to give him a, uh, an option after one year. Everybody else is, nobody else really believed he could come back and do this. Bob, there are about four, maybe four to five names on this Mariners roster that you can say, look, these guys need to play well for them to succeed. Is there like a Robin to all this, a guy that no one's really talking about that you feel like if he continues to play well, um, this team will succeed. 
Well, I mean, I think what, what Rodriguez brings, he's got to keep this up. You know, keep a strong second half. I think guys speed off him. Uh, and Jesse Winkler, I got to, I got to believe he's going to step up and, and be that guy. I mean, he was a uh, a star player for the Reds. There's no reason for him to struggle the way he has. Uh, you know, Suarez is, you know, is, is done fine. Pretty much what people thought. So, you know, uh, pretty much keeping guys healthy, tight France, everything else. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe the, uh, in the second half of September, you bring up a Jared Kelnick, it's a nice addition, you know, uh, and, and he starts to become the player that everybody envisioned in the first place. So I just think, you know, keep on beating up the, uh, keep on beating up the bad teams too. I mean, you know, keep on beating up the, uh, mm-hmm. the angels and A's and go from there. Hey, uh, Bob, it obviously doesn't have to be anything to do with the Mariners, but, uh, it, it feels like a million years ago we were watching, uh, a lockout, you know, potentially threatening the entire season. Thankfully, we were able to get uh, most of baseball back. And that feels like it was a million years ago because here we are in the thick of the season now with so many stories to look back on in the first half. What have been some of your personal favorites, the things that have fascinated you most about this season? Well, it's only you know, uh, Aaron Judge. I mean, he turned on $213.5 million. And, you know, a lot of questions like, wow, what's he really going to get or – you know, and they, they weren't even close at all. Well, he gambled on himself, and, and he won. Uh, you know, I think it would be fascinating to see in the second half whether he could top Roger Maris' 61 mark. You know, the only uh, – really, the, you know, the last home run record without a guy being tainted by steroid suspicions, uh, you know, passing 61. So, uh, I think, you know, all eyes on the Yankees, just how good they can become. Uh, you know, the Minnesota Twins are probably his biggest surprise at – in America League, and they were the biggest disappointment. Uh, biggest disappointment now is the Chicago White Sox. You know, can they bounce back and, and, and be that team? Uh, there's always, you know, I, I think we take him for granted, Shohei Otani. Uh, he's been pitching great lately, absolutely great, just how long he keeps it up. Mm. Then it's a question of, you know, he's a free agent in a, in a year from now. And it's like, what is this guy worth? You know, $400 million, $500 million, $600 million. He's probably worth. He's probably a $300 million pitcher and a $300 million hitter. Well, this bullpen has been really good for the Mariners. Um, you look at the guys that they have. They brought up Matt Brash. He had a um, an outing the other day. Where would you rank this bullpen among the the great ones in the league right now? Yeah, it's a uh, a sneaky good one. You know, you know, look at it like okay, this is a uh, you know great names in there. Uh, of course, they've had some injuries too with Giles. Uh, no, it's it's been it's been steady and uh, good. I mean, you still talk about you know bullpens like the. Uh, you know what the Milwaukee Brewers have, you know, with Hader and Williams, that might be the best one-two punch at the end. Certainly the Yankees with uh, Clay Holmes, what's he's doing? Uh, that Brennard kid from uh, Pittsburgh is like Goose Gossage, you know, two inning, two-plus inning saves. So, but yeah, that's, it's been very good. You have to have a good bullpen to win. And, uh, you know, even though there's not much help at the trade deadline this year, you know, not many starters, not many position players, there are a decent amount of relievers. So I wouldn't be surprised me at all to see Jerry DePoto go get go get another one. Uh, I don't know that I'm expecting Jerry DePoto to go get a, a starting arm, especially with the cost that could be for Luis Castillo. But what are you seeing him potentially commanding on the on the trade deadline? Yeah, I don't see that either. Uh, I think for a Castillo, you're going to get a teams to their top five prospects, maybe to their top ten. Wow. I mean. He's the best guy out there. I mean, Montas is very good with Oakland. 
he missed his last start. And, of course, he got uh, hurt start before he went one inning with his shoulder strain. So teams got to be a little cautious. But, yeah, I, I think the asking price on both those guys can be way, way too high for, uh, you know, for, for Seattle and for a lot of teams. Uh, you know, you just don't want to give up that many prospects, you know, just to get a guy like that. Other than Julio Rodriguez, who's another young guy in the majors right now that's making some noise that people should be watching out for? Yeah, I mean, certainly, a, uh, you know, Payne has done very well as the Astro uh, shortstop replacing Korea. Very, you know, very steady guy. Uh, you know, young guys, it seems like they're everywhere now. Whether it's McClanahan's, you know, nice, the great young pitcher from Tampa is having a good year as, as anybody. Uh, Alcantara is old school. I mean, he's gotten eight times already, eight innings or more. I mean, he's probably the best pitcher in the uh, in the National League. And, and it's scary to think that for one year rental, I think got to be careful of the trade deadline. One year rental, they got Marcelo Zuna, and St. Louis gave up Alcantara plus Zach Gallon, you know, who's the ace of the Diamondbacks. So you can't imagine how good that team would be if they had both, you know, both those guys. You know, Tommy Edmond of St. Louis has played, uh, you know, very, very well. And they, you know, uh, the All-Star game, too, will be fine with the two Contreras brothers. You know, William of uh, Atlanta will be the starting gauge for them, and his, his brother uh, will be starting catcher. So that'd be cool. Uh, we already know the teams here around the wild card battle that Mariners fans are watching. Cleveland, obviously Toronto, Tampa Bay a little far ahead uh, with the rest of the AL East there. But uh, but I know that they're another team with a wild card spot. Is there another AL team that could sneak into that battle? Uh, I don't see it right now. Yeah, I, I don't. The uh, I think what we're seeing right now is what we're going to get. Uh, I mean, you got. I don't see Baltimore. I think they're going to trade guys to trade deadline and, and kind of fall out of it. Um, but you still got, you know, the two other te- three other teams there. I don't see that wild card coming from the AL Central. And I don't see Texas having enough either. So, no, I, I, I think what we're seeing right now is what we're going to see all season. Always a great time to talk Mariners prospects, especially with a farm system as deep as theirs, at one point rated number one in baseball by Baseball America. Well, another publication, MLB.com and MLB Pipeline, has re-released their top 100 prospect rankings with an update. We talked to one of the people whose responsibility it is to put those together, Sam Dykstra of MILB.com and MLB.com. He joins me next. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Joining me now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, he writes for MLB.com, he writes for MILB.com, he writes for MLB Pipeline. He is Sam Dykstra, and you can follow him on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Sam, really appreciate you joining me. How's it going today? It's great. It's great. This is a busy time of the year for those of us who work in uh, minor league baseball and cover prospects with futures game coming up, the draft over the weekend. But uh, yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And and speaking of things that you guys have got going on, we saw last week the release of the new updated MLB Pipeline Top 100. And obviously here in Seattle, with the farm system being ranked so high amongst many publications, there is always a big interest in what's going on down on the farm. But I want to start with you in a conversation you had at the beginning of spring training with Julio Rodriguez. And Julio, obviously, going to the All-Star game next week, 
getting that nod in his rookie season as a 21-year-old. When you spoke with him back in in the spring, did you ever in your wildest imagination think he would be able to reach where he has gotten at this point in his career? Uh, I mean, it's it's weird to say yes, but almost yes. Uh, you know, he's always been a very confident guy in the best way. I don't mean that in the cocky way. Julio Rodriguez is, is one of my favorite players, you know, both from the minor leagues and now in the major leagues with the confidence he has in himself. Um, but the thing that stood out to me from that conversation was this is a guy who knew he could hit. He knew he, he could field pretty well. He knew he could certainly show plus power. It was the speed that he was basically taking it as an affront to anybody who had ever written a prospect list and said, this guy is good at everything else. He might not end up being the fastest guy in the world that might be moved to a corner. He really took that to heart in our, in our conversation. He kept bringing that up. Like, I'm working on getting faster. I am faster now. I can play center field. I can do all these things. And, it, and I walked away from it thinking, if he's right and if he can really play center field, then he is a true five-tool star. And he could hit the ground running just as he did at every other stop through the minor leagues. Yeah, he struggled a little bit at the beginning of the year. But we always thought Julio Rodriguez could be a potential superstar. He's doing that quicker maybe than a lot of other people suspected. But, you know, given what he's done in the minor league, nothing should be a surprise from Julio. Yeah, and it, it, it took him a, a fair amount of time to adjust to big league pitching. You know, for the month of April, it wasn't quite – uh, what anybody had in mind for him, but then in the month of May, caught fire. And we've seen that with a lot of prospects, specifically like Jared Kelnick up here in Seattle, where it has taken him quite a long time to adjust to Major League Pitching. In fact, I don't know if anyone can, can confidently say he has done so to this point, but it's not just been him either across Major League Baseball. There have been other prospects uh, that have taken quite a long time to acclimate. I know Adley Rutschman wasn't exactly you know lighting the world on fire when he got called up. How big of a gap right now is there between minor league ball, whether it be at the double-A level where most of the top prospects reside, the triple-A level where you see a lot of veteran guys who who spend time between the majors and the minors, and obviously the major league level. How big of a gap is there? I mean, when you talk about the jump from triple-A to the majors right now, it feels as big as it's ever been for me, having covered the minor leagues for 10 years now. Um, it seems like guys are struggling with that jump more than ever. You know, there are a lot of theories out there about why that could be. I, one of them that I think has at least some traction might be that, you know, we're still learning what the effects was going to be of a lost 2020 minor league season. There there was no minor league baseball that year. Yes, there were alternate training sites where a lot of these big names like Julio, like Adley Rutschman, like Bobby Witt Jr., who also struggled at the beginning of this year. Um, you know, they got in some work. They got the advanced pitching because those were guys who were shuffling to the major leagues but there's nothing to recreate true game action and i think losing those innings losing those at bats has had a trickle down effect and it's going to take a little bit of time to make up for that um so yeah you might have somebody like bobby witt jr who did really well at double a and triple a um, but he's still catching up to his major league counterparts and that took you know four to six weeks for that to happen it, it took julio around the same time uh to adjust but the thing about these top prospects they've always had an ability to adjust. That's why we really believed in them. That's what they've shown in the minor leagues. So, yeah, the, the adjustment period might take a little bit longer, um, but the skills are always going to come through, and, and we're starting to see that as the weather got warmer this year, as guys got more experience, and, and you know now we're getting to the point where Bobby Wood Jr. might be the best hitter for the Royals, and Louis Rodriguez is an all-star. Yeah, and, and Julio has been 
just incredible to watch. And you mentioned Bobby Wood Jr. And it does feel like these guys are starting to get their legs underneath them, which is a very fun sight to see. Is is you always hope that these top prospects can can flourish at the major league level. We're speaking with Sam Dykstra of MILB.com, of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline. And Sam, uh, MLB Pipeline released an updated top 100 list a few days ago. Uh, obviously, some big movement with some other guys, specifically here in Seattle. Uh, a couple of new names on the list, and then one guy holding over from the start of the season. Let's start with him, Matt Brash, who started the year in the Mariners rotation, got sent down to the minors to work as a relief pitcher. He's now back up with the team, appeared a couple of times over the weekend against the Blue Jays, looked really good in, in doing that. Where do you think Brash ultimately ends up in, in his big league career? Do you see him more as a, a starting pitcher or, or as a reliever? I mean, if you would ask me at the beginning of the year, I definitely thought he was a starter quality. Um, just because of the quality of those breaking pitches, he can give you different shapes. It's wicked stuff. The velocity was ticking up. It seems like the Mariners have moved him into the back of the bullpen, which you know is still valuable. And I think he could end up, you know, pitching in high leverage innings, which is useful now. And as the game is is transitioning, relievers are more important than ever. Uh, the reason why we stay with Matt Brash in the top 100, even though he's trending towards becoming a reliever is because what I just mentioned about the importance of relievers. But also I still think he could be somebody who could pitch two or three innings in a relief outing. He could face a lineup at least once of the way through. I think that was one of the problems when he was a starter is that, yeah, guys would come up and they would see that slider, they would see the knuckle curve and really be befuddled by it. And at second, third at-bats, if they knew it was coming, they knew to either sit on it or try to attack the fastball. Um, so I still think he's useful in a relief role. It's just certainly trending that way. I think the stuff's too good. Uh, I, you know, I, I would love to see him start again one day, uh, but there's still plenty of value for him if he is going to be bullpen only going forward. Another guy in the Mariners farm system that has had a, a lot of expectations for him. He's a little further off from ma- making his major league debut, but we've seen a lot of, top talented prospects in the Mariners farm system uh, approach the big leagues in the last few years. But Noel V. Marte, another guy who has been mentioned in the same breath as, as Julio and as George Kirby and Logan Gilbert, but he's younger, obviously, but has gotten off to a slower start this year. Has turned it on lately, though, with the Everett Aqua Sox. Has looked really good. But are expectations for him any different after his slower start to the season? Because I've noticed that he went down in the rankings just slightly. Uh, he's not near the top ten as he was at the at the start of the season. Yeah, uh, as we have him right now, we flipped him just a smidge. It's, it's still a top 20 prospect in baseball in Noel B. Marte. We have him right at number 20. And I think that's reflective of, like you were saying, that rough start he had at the beginning of the year at high A Everett. Um, he is 20 years old, so we can't really say, oh, he's super young to the level. He's young to the level, but not super young. Uh, there are some questions about what, whether he's going to be a long-term shortstop you know, as he fills out a little bit more, he's listed at six foot one, 181 pounds. He might be a little bit bigger than that. Is he going to be a shortstop? That obviously dings his value. Uh, but, you know, knowing I was going to be speaking to you guys today, I just wanted to dip into Noel V. Marte's numbers of late because he has been so good. He seems to have really turned a corner. And over his last 17 games, he's batting 381. He has an OPS of 1.249. Uh, he's got seven homers in those 17 games, and he's walking more than he's striking out. So the bat is certainly there. I saw him in spring training. He hit one of my favorite spring training homers that I got to see on the backfields of Arizona. Um, just, you know, really seemed to sit back on the ball, 
understood his swing and just drove it out to left field with authority. Everybody who was watching that game knew it was gone. Now we're starting to see that more and more in the Northwest League. This could be, you know, he just needed some time to adjust to that. He got a little bit of time there last year, uh, but he's turning it on now. It's always going to be a bat-first profile out of him. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be somebody who's going to slug 700 going forward, but he is capable of these hot streaks, and I think we're getting a little bit more of the taste of Noel Marte. So even if it's not a top-10 prospect, it's a top-20 prospect, that's still really good, and, and you know that, that's a good thing to have for this Mariners farm system if he's going to be your top overall prospect. Yeah, great to see him turn it on as of late. Uh, sticking with the middle infield, a brand-new name to the top 100 list, a guy in the Mariners farm system, is second-round pick from a year ago, shortstop Edwin Arroyo who I don't know if many Mariners fans are, are familiar with his game. Sam, what should Mariners fans know about the 18-year-old? Well, if you're looking to uh, impress your friends, you know, sitting around a bar and you're talking about the, the Mariners farm system, mention that Edwin Arroyo can actually switch throw. Uh, he's what? not going to do it, obviously, very often in, in games. Yeah, he, he can <laughs> throw with both his right hand and his left hand. Um, that's something he did much more in the prep game than he does now. But still, little little fun fact for you on Edward Arroyo. But that kind of speaks to what we're excited about him. And coming into the year, he was a second-round pick last year. Above-average runner, plus fielder, good arm from the right side, which is normally where he throws from. The question was, could he be a hitter? And as he's showing right now at Modesto, uh, you know, at, at single A, he's certainly accomplishing that. He's batting three fifteen. He's got 12 home runs in 75 games. You know, we thought he could be maybe a below-average hitter to or below average power guy he's showing at least average power maybe a touch more the Cal League is a hitters league so you have to take that into account but Edwin Arroyo the, the fact that we already thought he was athletic could could certainly stick it short uh and the fact that he's now hitting that's how you work your way into the top 100 from a second round pick and he's got definitely a big arrow pointed up next to his name we have him at number 96 right now I'm guessing by the time we do an update in August and even after we add some more draft picks uh, he could be much higher than 96. Remember the name, Mariners fans, Edwin Arroyo. That is somebody that you want to keep an eye on. Also keep an eye on Sam Dykstra of MLB Pipeline, who was kind enough to join us here on Extra Innings. You can follow Sam on Twitter, at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. And Sam, like you mentioned, a busy time for anybody who covers minor league baseball. So if you want to keep tabs on the draft that's coming up in about a week or so, Sam is the guy to follow. You can also follow him for any sort of prospect news. And Sam, really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Extra Innings. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate Sam stopping by, especially in this very busy time of the year for Prospect News. Coming up next on Extra Innings, we've got one last thing to do. Let's take a look at some of the biggest headlines in all the baseball with a round of pepper. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. As always, really appreciate you making Extra Innings a part of your evening, wherever you're catching the show, whether it be live, over the air, or at seattlesports.com. You've downloaded the app. Really, really, truly appreciate you tuning in to Extra Innings. We're back with you whenever the next Mariners off day is. There's so few and far between, but look, as as I said at the beginning of the show, you never want to see the Mariners have an off day when they're playing as good as they have been over the last three weeks, going 
16 and 3 over the course of 19 games. They've won eight games in a row, 11 of 12. You don't want to see off days, but luckily tomorrow they will not have an off day. They'll be right back at it. Chris Flexen gets the start taking on Washington's Josiah Gray. Three o'clock pregame show, 405 first pitch. But as we do each and every time here on Extra Innings, we round out with some of the biggest headlines in Major League Baseball. Yesterday, all star teams were announced, which means the next step is the Home Run Derby participants. Who will announce themselves as a participant? Well, we've got two confirmed participants today, both from the National League East. Ronald Acuna Jr., who is back in the Braves lineup. Always great to see him playing healthy after missing so much time over the last season. He has about 208 at-bats, eight home runs this season, but still good to see him say that he wants to participate in the Home Run Derby. I would imagine the Braves are quite all right with that, even though he has dealt with plenty of injuries over the last year or so. Still just 24 years old. So exciting to see him take his place in that event. Also, it would not be a Home Run Derby without Pete Alonso, the two-time defending champion Pete Alonso of the New York Mets. I will say, of all the players that have participated in the Home Run Derby, I don't know if any of them take it as seriously as Pete Alonso. Like, even when King Griffey Jr. was winning all of those derbies in the 90s, it, it felt like he was just there knowing that he had the best home run swing of anybody and was just like, yeah, I, I, I know what I can do. Whereas Pete Alonso looks like he wants to win, and not just win, but send a message while doing so. There was a home run he hit last year, or maybe it was a just a deep fly ball that was a laser beam. And after he had hit the home run, he looked like he wanted to like fight somebody or tackle somebody. He was so intense and locked in. Two-time defending champion. Can he win it for a third time in a row? Remains to be seen. List of home run derby champions. We're going to take a look and see if anybody has ever done three in a row. I don't believe that has ever happened. So uh, we're going to look here. No, the most that has ever happened in a row is two. King Griffey Jr. went back-to-back in 98 and 99. Yoannis Cespedes went back-to-back in 2013 and 2014. And Pete Alonso went back-to-back in 2019 and 2021. So nobody has ever won three in a row. We'll see Pete Alonso go for it here in Los Angeles. Braves and Padres swung a minor league trade on Sunday afternoon. Now, why am I talking about a minor league trade? Well, it involves a pretty big name, probably the most popular minor leaguer in baseball, Robinson Cano. Yes, that Robinson Cano had been playing for the El Paso Chihuahuas, which is the Padres minor league team. Well, he had a clause in his contract that if he wasn't up in the major leagues by a certain date, He would either be granted free agency or the Padres would have to assure that they would move him to a team that would make space for him. And while Cano has had terrible luck or terrible success, I should say, at the major league level in 2022, playing across two organizations, the Mets and the Padres, he's combined hitting, I believe, a buck 49 in the majors in 24 games. In 21 games at the AAA level in El Paso, he's hitting 333 with a 375 on base, 479 slugging percentage, three home runs, 20 RBI. Does Robinson Cano have anything left in him? Remains to be seen. I will say this. I do commend him for going the minor league route. 
because you can clearly see that this guy loves the game of baseball. He wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't in it for the fame and adoration. Now, I'm sure those were great things, but when you have made as much money as he has, why do you need to stick around and and play minor league baseball and and ride the buses from city to city and, and not really sniff major league life? Well... I think it only speaks to his love of the game. Now, his legacy in Seattle is a complicated one. He put up tremendous numbers while he was a Seattle Mariner, and I think very much lived up to his contract up until that final season where he was suspended for 80 games because of a failed PED test. Would I do the contract of Robinson Cano over again? Absolutely. 100% I would. Without a doubt, I would sign Robinson Cano to the exact same deal for the exact same number of years, the exact same amount of money. It's not my money. I'm not the one having to pay Robinson Cano, but also he was very much worth every penny that the Mariners had signed him for in his first four years, five years here in Seattle. Now, what Jerry DePoto did in getting out from that contract, a masterstroke, probably the best move that he has made as GM of the Seattle Mariners it allowed them a lot more f- flexibility as an organization in terms of going out and getting guys. Now, they need to go and utilize that flexibility, which is something that you know, as this team continues to improve and, and continues to play better, there are going to be opportunities to add salary on later this season as the trade deadline is less than a month away. But, yeah, Robinson Cano back in the major leagues. He's batting ninth tonight for the Atlanta Braves. First time he's batted ninth since, uh, I believe it was 2007. Speaking of quite a while, speaking of time passing by in Major League Baseball, the longest active consecutive game streak in Major League Baseball, it's no more. Kansas City's Whip Merrifield missing tonight's game was swelling in the big toe of his right foot. Merrifield's streak was at... 553 games, about a quarter of, about a a fifth of what Cal Ripken Jr.'s streak was, 26-32, something ridiculous like that. Yeah, that streak will never be touched. But with Merrifield at 553, the longest active streak, no more. The current Ironman, that'd be Atlanta Braves first baseman Matt Olson at 221 games. So about a season and a half is the longest active Ironman streak. That is going to be a completely untouchable streak in baseball, a completely untouchable record. Uh, no one is playing 2,600-plus games in a row ever again. Uh, you can take that to the bank. 553 was an impressive number. Now it's all up to Matt Olson, who has a season and a half worth of consecutive games played. Also in Major League Baseball, friend of the station, John Morosi, had a report today that the Dodgers and Reds have had preliminary preliminary trade discussions, that's a tricky word, involving Cincinnati starting pitcher Luis Castillo. Now, it feels like Luis Castillo's name has been in trade rumors for the better part of at least a couple seasons, and with the Reds going nowhere quickly... It only feels right that Castillo gets traded. And looking at his numbers, I mean, he has been fantastic this season. Bouncing back from an injury he sustained at the end of spring training, he's pitched 71 innings, 12 starts, an ERA sub-3 with a 3-4 and four record. He's got a 9.4 Ks per nine innings, a whip of 1.09. And his baseball reference war 2.7 in just 12 starts. He has been 
really, really good. And I would imagine that Castillo's ask, or the Reds' asking price for Castillo, I should say. Castillo's not the one in charge of figuring out what they get back for him. But I would imagine the haul that Cincinnati wants back in return for Castillo starts with a team's top prospect, probably a couple other top ten prospects as well, in order to get Castillo on your roster. Now, speaking of trades... It reminds me of last year, and we just talked about Whit Merrifield, the name that was floated in a couple of Mariners trade rumors. And looking at where Whit Merrifield is at right now and just the season that he has had, which is not a good one. He has not been good at all this year, uh, only hitting 240. He's got an OPS of just 635, a batting average yeah, of 240, on base of 292, just five home runs. He has not been good. For Kansas City. In fact, he has been one of the worst regular players in all of baseball. But I think back to last trade deadline when his name was floated in in plenty of rumors involving the Mariners and whether or not the Mariners were going to make a trade for Merrifield to add him to the roster. And then the asking price that Kansas City had got out. And there was a name at the very top of their wish list that they wanted in return for Whit Merrifield, who is now an underperforming, soon-to-be 34-year-old middle infielder slash outfielder. Kansas City wanted a guy named Julio Rodriguez in return for Whit Merrifield. I kid you not. Imagine where those two franchises would be right now if the Mariners had okayed that trade to send Julio Rodriguez to Kansas City for Whit Merrifield. Are you kidding me? Man, Talk about crisis averted. Talk about disaster averted. I don't think there was ever any chance of that happening as soon as we found out what Kansas City's asking price was for Merrifield. But, boy, talk about just one of the – that would have been one of the most lopsided trades of all time in baseball history, full stop. And, thankfully, we don't have to worry about that as Julio Rodriguez finds himself in the All-Star game in 2022 – Meanwhile, Whit Merrifield will find himself watching the All-Star Game in 2022. That is going to do it for us here on Extra Innings. Really appreciate you joining me. I'm Curtis Rogers. Make sure you're downloading the podcast at seattlesports.com. We'll be back with you for the next Mariners Off Day right here on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.